the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast, coming to you from DraftKings Studios, with your hosts, Kyle Morganoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in, Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Morganoni, and here with me is Matthew. I just won a ton of money last weekend, Betts. Betts, how you doing, buddy? I'm here. I am doing well. Uh, yeah, man, it was a great weekend. Um, not just for that reason, but like the football games themselves were just incredible. And that Bills Chiefs game, I really did not want it to end ever. Uh, spoiler alert, it did. And here we are for the championship round. So I'm excited, man. Interesting two game slate ahead here. And these are always just so tricky to talk about from a um, a plays perspective because on a small slate, like anything goes. You know, the rules are out the window, uh, the takes are going to be more focused on i think game theory than anything this weekend and so it creates just another fun weekend of dfs gpp life which i fully embrace this uh this offseason yes we have four teams that we're working with and so if anyone tells you they like a play this week if they're saying i like kyle use um i think i want to play jeff wilson jr i'm not going to talk you out of it but we're going to talk more about correlation plays and how you construct your lineups and what is too much like i think when we're dealing with four teams, one of the questions I've gotten the most last couple of days is how much is too much in terms of playing certain players? So can I play five Chiefs? Like on FanDuel, you can't. You max out at four. But on DraftKings, as long as you have somebody else from the other team, you can go overboard. So we'll talk about all uh we'll talk about those games. We'll talk about those four teams in depth. And our quick question, I want you to kind of unpack last week. Uh Basically, your process, because you and I, I think the DFS pass paid swimmingly for people. Um, and there's a couple of specific plays that you were dead on, and including one that you said, Todd Bowles, if he would have listened to you, maybe the Bucks could have come out and uh, and actually won that game. Yeah, Todd, if you're listening, um, listen, man, the DFS pass is cheap. I think, I think you can get there. You can get you can afford it for sure. Um, we, talk, we talked a lot about it. You know, one that we were just on. A lot, and really the joke there is is Matthew Stafford against the Blitz, and the Bucks were blitzing at the highest rate in football in the regular season. What do they do on the last play, the most important play of the game? Come out and blitz Matthew Stafford. He deeps him, beats him for a deep bomb. How? So not only How? any wide receiver, but Cooper Cup, who has had the best wide receiver season we've seen in quite some time. So it was just baffling to see. But yeah, I played a decent amount of. Uh, Stafford stacks for that reason and that really wasn't what got me there it was obviously just being overweight the field on the KC Buffalo game and in hindsight it just sounds so incredibly easy right it's like okay we have two of the best offenses football the game total was the highest on the slate and it was very easy to see a path where that game shoots out obviously it did and overtime helped but the pricing in those games as well for um, Buffalo and Kansas City just made it really easy to fade the other games and go all in on a game stack. And so I took the approach on a small slate of mostly fading those games and getting a ton of exposure to those Chiefs and Bills. And Gabriel Davis, I love you. <laughs> I love you so much after this past weekend. That guy won me a ton of money. He was awesome. Um, and we, we talked about that too, you know, just being willing to look at the trend of routes run for Buffalo and seeing that, you know, it really was going down for Cole Beasley. I know we took the under on his prop that didn't really hit, but uh, took the under on that for the reason he only ran nine routes the week before. And then Emmanuel Sanders was kind of getting phased out too in favor of Gabe Davis. So I think finding those little edges in terms of uh, who's going to be on the field, who's running the routes and where can you create leverage in these, these tournaments is really what it's all about on the small slate. We're going to be talking about leverage a little too much. So if you hate that word, you don't understand 
listen, like Betts' strategy this past week was to say, I'm not going to spread myself thin. When you have, last week it was four games, and you end up getting a piece from every single game, you create no leverage on the field. So Betts went overweight on Buffalo and KC, and that was another one that I did. I just didn't have enough Gabriel Davis uh, for myself. But, you know, fading Tom Brady and the Bucks was a big stance that you and I took. Uh, Fading uh, the Packers, apart from Aaron Jones, which is one of our GPP picks, that felt really good. So realize you're not just saying who do I like and from each game. You're saying in this game environment, how can I cause it the rest of the field to kind of have to play catch up against me? And that's what we did this past week. And then I just want to say this. There's a couple listeners out there that took me at my word when I said Evan McPherson over one and a half field goals. So maybe I should just quit the rest of what I'm doing and just focus on kicker props. I mean, hey, we always talk about people ask us, how do you get into the fantasy space? And uh, the answer I usually give people is you got to be unique. And I don't know anyone out there covering kicker props like you, Kyle. So I think that's your uh, that's your claim to fame at this point is the field goal props. I have been pretty fortunate that when I've done field goals and I've done points for kickers, uh, it's it's hit pretty well. So um, I have a couple of those this week in the DFS pass, and we might actually cover another kicker prop today on our show. We're going to talk about the games, how we like to stack. We're going to talk about some general strategy uh, and then give you some mailbag questions that I think are pretty interesting at this point of the season. Like we know that we have four teams and there's a small pool of players. So how do we get different? So we got some great questions coming up on the mailbag. If you want to get all that content, you can get it in the DFS pass. Bets and I will still be putting out content through Super Bowl. And that's when we go really heavy on Super Bowl props like that's that's really the most fun even the weird ones you know that we talk about national anthem talk about different insights so let's get weird bets when we talk about the uh, the prop bets for Super Bowl what do you say oh don't dude don't tell me twice about getting weird we're gonna get so weird for the Super Bowl <laughs> this I mean here's the thing people I just want to un- unpack a little bit about bets is you know he, he likes a good prop he likes some DFS um, he also is getting into NHL TFS a little bit too <laughs> Yeah, man, it's uh, we're there, <laughs> we're there. NHL, NBA, PGA, obviously NFL right now. I mean, yeah, there, there's a slate going on. Uh, there's a good chance I'm sweating it. I, I won't confirm or deny that I may have thrown some props on PGA Tour stuff this past week. So I'm having fun being in Arizona and being able to uh, even live bet ping pong in Russia. Yeah, I did it. I'll, <laughs> I'll admit it. <laughs> Oh, man, your parents must be just so proud and equally disappointed in you at the same time. <laughs> yes, they, they knew that this was in me, but Arizona's brought it out a little bit more. But let's let's get into the games. Stack attack. So the first game is Cincinnati at Kansas City. But before we go into this game and talk about the next one, we have to understand that late swap is is a must this week because we're going to have a full game's worth of information. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of this, anything you want to explain to the listeners about what they should look for? Let's say, you know, it's towards the end of the fourth quarter of this game. How, how I've had some people ask me, like, how do I know when to late swap, or how do I know what's a good relative to the field? So anything you're looking for in this game, in terms of game flow, if it hits the over-under, and what that causes you to do uh, with the next game. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, late swap on a small slate like this, obviously you're only late swapping in one game. And on this slate, it's going to be the San Francisco and LA game. That's the later of the two. So we're going to know what happened basically in the first game between um, 
the Chiefs and the Bengals. So in that game, we know it is going to be extremely popular. We also know people are going to want to be playing a lot of the passing attack for good reason on both sides of that football. So I think one way that you could kind of approach this is saying, I know that that's what the field is going to do. I'm okay doing that as well. But if you do that, understand that if it doesn't work, there's going to be people waiting in the second game to play Cooper Cup and some of the passing attack options, Debo, Samuel, those kind of guys. So I think one way that you can kind of get different is like if it does go south in the first game, look to ancillary pass catchers in the second game, namely guys like Van Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, um, Juwan Jennings, if you want to get off the board, like just be willing to understand what the field is going to do in the second game. And if it did not go well for you in the first game, then you have to go there, even if it feels uncomfortable, because if the, the guys that you're playing in the second game hit, but the field is also playing them, it doesn't matter at that point. You're already done. So you kind of have to just embrace the game theory aspect of this two-game slate and kind of be willing to not have your football takes enter that space because we are just trying to make sure that we're getting different compared to the field. I think in the first game, you look at the two running backs that are that are in the mix-in and you know McKinnon, and I guess you could say CEH is in that mix. If someone's playing three running backs, you're really limiting yourself in terms of figuring out what's moving forward. Um, I had a question. We'll get to it later. Can you play CEH? In McKinnon in the same lineup, and really you're kind of drawing dead from there because you're not giving yourself enough room to late swap because you're already using up that flex spot, and the projections don't look very good. So I'm looking at those receivers, like you mentioned, in that second game because there's so many different combinations. Like, are you playing Cup and, and Debo Samuel? Are you playing Cup and Ayuk? Are you fading Cup? And you're playing some other combinations. So that's, to me, the most important because all of the roster percentage especially at the quarterback position is going to come here like right now in our roster percentage report which comes out on Friday uh Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes are 75 percent of the field does that feel high not really it's not surprising at all because when you're looking at two slate or two games on the slate rather obviously four teams most of the field's eliminating Jimmy Garoppolo from their player pool. So we're basically going down to three names, three players <laughs> that people want to actually play that actually are going to project well. And obviously that's, you know, Mahomes, it's Burrow. And then we've seen Matthew Stafford have a ceiling as well. So people are going to play him a little bit. But it's not surprising, especially when you consider on a context on a slate. You know, we talk about uh, exposure levels of, of roster percentage, you know, on a 14-game slate, like... 15% feels high for a quarterback on this slate. Like Jimmy G might be 15% and that translates to like no one is playing him in that, in that situation. It's kind of the the take home. You know, when the slate gets smaller, the exposure condenses around the best plays and we're going to talk about these two names, but I think we would agree like Mahomes and Joe Burrow, considering nothing else, are just the two best plays on the slate at quarterback. It's a little bit of a different conversation, I'll say, on FanDuel where Burrow and Stafford are the exact same price. And so... It's just that that to me is a different conversation. So we'll get to that. Jimmy G is buried and we'll get to that game. And can you use him? Is it, is it, is it just stupid? Like you know, normally we could say, oh, he's so cheap. Look at this total. Hey, you could play him. He's cheap. But we're not going for a median outcome here because the field, you know, has two quarterbacks at their disposal. So let's start off with Cincinnati at Kansas City. Kansas City seven point home favorites. This game is a 54 and a half total. And we've seen this game, right? Week 17, it was one of the more exciting games of the year. The Bengals won 34-31, and it was in Cincinnati. It was the Jamar Chase game, right? It went for 266-3. and So do you feel like the public or the field as a whole is just going to say this is a copy-paste of what we've already seen? Is that how most people you think will view this? 
Yeah, I think so. I think it makes sense to think about what the, our opponents are going to do, and they're going to look at this game, and they're going to say, okay, I just saw Kansas City a week ago come out and have one of the best games in NFL history, probably, honestly, in our lifetime, um, and, go, and go berserk. So I want exposure to Mahomes and his pass catchers. And then you look at Cincinnati, and you say, okay, last time these two teams played, Jamar Chase, as he said, went absolutely bonkers we've also seen t higgins have a ceiling this this year joe burrow is a hot name in the fantasy community so yeah it makes a lot of sense that i think people are just going to say okay these two passing attacks have been flying high let's go there and let's just build stacks around that so i'm not saying that's wrong i just know that that's what the field's going to do so we have to enter the slate with that understanding the way that i did this this week for the pace of play article is i just said what are some different routes of this game? Because I, I would agree with you. I think the easy way and the way the field would look at it is there's a back and forth. So one of the game flows I wrote down is called the Bengals ball out and Kansas City comes back. That's essentially what it was this past time. And Burrow in that game completed 77% of his passes, had a near perfect 148 quarterback rating. So that week, Jamar Chase saw 57% of the team's air yards. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I think that's not repeatable. All right, in the way that they were covering him that game, I think that's not repeatable. So, you know, you're not expecting a 50-point explosion from Jamar Chase. However, his target totals are up considerably over, you know, where they were, you know, for most of the year. So, you're looking at 9, 10 targets as something that feels very easy to project for him. And so you're not really asking him to only have those bomb touchdowns because in the past, Jamar Chase is the type of player I would have faded. I would be like, oh, well, those aren't repeatable. Now we're getting targets that you can't really fade him and you can't totally fade the Bengals pass attack. So let's say you are lower on Burrow this week, like me. Uh, how would you approach this game? Like if, if you're saying I want to use the Mahomes side and I want to stack it up, where are you looking to go on the Bengals side? Is it I want to go chase and just kind of avoid the other dudes? Well, I think it depends on... Um on how you're approaching the slate. Like if you're playing in small field stuff, one way that you can get leverage on the field right away is to not play multiple pieces on Cincinnati because it's very likely that people are going to try to fit in a cheap CJ Uzoma or a really cheap still T Higgins. I don't know why they don't raise his price, but he's still cheap. Um, and then Jamar Chase is the obvious answer too. So one way that you could say is like, I know Chase is going to be popular, but if I'm playing this to have a a super high ceiling outcome, maybe I just am taking a shot that it, it is the, the week that he does have 202 um and and the other players don't get there that's one way to get different on since side of the ball because i think the field's going to play a lot from their their side in the game environment that we like um so in large field tournaments i don't think that's a terrible idea especially if you're playing like single entry type stuff to just get a way to get different compared to our opponents yeah when i was writing up t higgins i said his projection is strong his price is low but if i'm going to play him i'm probably playing him with chase because i feel like the the field's going to say i need to play one or the other if he's going to go in, then I'm going to play Burrow's side. But Higgins is somebody that I don't mind fading and just playing a piece like Chase because I like the Kansas City side way more. Obviously, they're favored. They're at home. And the pieces are fairly cheap. Like McKinnon projects really, really well. Uh, we love Kelsey. And then in a second, we'll talk about Byron Pringle. So there's just lots of different routes to go in that direction. But staying on the Cincy side, what do we do with Joe Mixon? Because he's kind of in a tier of his own this week in terms of pricing and then also just in terms of like projectable workload. There, we're, not, we're not projecting anything for Samaj P. Ryan or Chris Evans to like really eat into his workload. So how are you approaching him? Yeah, I think he's really interesting this week. And I think 
the reason is like we'll talk about cam makers in a second but I don't understand what DraftKings is doing with the pricing. They put them down at 5K for Cam Makers. And if you look at the usage, even though the box score hasn't been incredible, the usage compared to Sonny Michelle for him has just been insane. So I think people are going to automatically see the savings in in you know the LA backfield with Cam Makers and go right to him at 5K. So I don't know that a lot of people are going to spend up for Mixon. I mean, and again, it's all relative, right? Like, is he going to come in at 5%? No, of course not. He might be like 20, but compared to the other backs, he might be like 45 it's a, a way to get leverage and i actually think it's pretty interesting to stack him if you are doing a Bengal stack with joe burrow and then another wide receiver because of his usage in the last month in the passing game you're looking at his routes run over the last several weeks like going all the way back to week 13 he was running like 15 11 routes per game then in week 16 something just flipped with their uh, offensive philosophy and how they're using him 31 routes 28 and then 24 and 24 in these last two games when they sat their starters in week 18. So he's running a ton of routes, seven, five, eight, six targets over his last four. He's going to get work in the passing game. And I think one way that you could just get different is say, I'm going to stack Burrow with Mixon and T Higgins and just avoid Jamar Chase, something like that, or some sort of combination. Um, Because I don't think a lot of people will stack him with Joe Burrow. We've talked about it on the show saying, if you're playing Mixon, it's negative correlation with Joe Burrow, but on a small slate, I don't care about that stuff as much where I'm, I'm trying to hit, you know, the nut ceiling. I'm trying to just get different and get exposure in certain ways. And I think that's a way that you can really get different on this slate. Yeah, I think the conversation in this game with Mixon is, do you play another running back? Normally, we would say don't play two running backs in the same game. But throughout the rules, Mixon, CEH, McKinnon, I like the running backs in this game. Like I, I want a piece because they do catch passes. So that's the conversation for me. But if I'm doing on the Bengals side, I'm going overweight on the Bengals side. I'm not just getting a little bit, you know, saying, oh, I want Burrow, Mixon, and Chase, and that's it. No, I want four people from this game on, on their side because I want, I want a little bit more than what the field, if this game hits the over. Um, and right now, I think we both like it to hit the over. I think the field does too. Um, let's talk real quickly about Tyler Boyd. He failed us last week. We loved him as kind of a sneaky play. He had a great matchup in the slot against Tennessee. What are we doing with him? Because his price is enticing. And clearly, if you're playing Boyd, you're saying that, you know, one of those other two receivers isn't going to get there. So how do you like Boyd as kind of like a contrarian? I'm playing him, but I'm more playing him just because I'm trying to just shoot a dart. Yeah, I think that's honestly all he is at this point. I mean, seven combined targets in the last two games, I think has a lot to do with how they're using um, players that run routes in the areas of the field where he does. And obviously we talk about Jamar Chase and T Higgins. They are Cincinnati's, you know, down the field weapons. And obviously Tyler Boyd is not necessarily that out of the slot. CJ Uzoma is running a ton of routes and is seeing volume. And as I just said, Joe Mixon is also seeing volume out of the backfield. So they're kind of taking away, you know, the area where he operates in the middle of the field. And it's tough to see all three of those players getting there. So I personally am going to be setting rules in my lineups where if I am going to have exposure to Tyler Boyd, I'm not also playing CJ Uzoma and or Joe Mixon. I think they kind of all negatively correlate in how they get there as far as volume, especially if you're talking about DraftKings where it's full PPR scoring. So I think Boyd's fine to mix in to get different. Certainly, there's not really a lot in his underlying usage metrics that you're excited about him as a play. It's more just game theory as leverage off the other pieces in Cincinnati. Speaking of Uzoma, on FanDuel, he's more expensive than Tyler Higby, who's been a popular play during the playoffs. So that's kind of a play where you're if you're playing him, you're just trying to get different. Um, on DraftKings, super cheap, 3400 
And he's seen six plus targets in six of the last seven games. So I like him a lot, but I mean, Kelsey's projection is so strong against a Bengals defense that gives it up to the tight ends most in the league, highest opponent tight end target share. So how do you feel about playing two tight ends in this game? Yeah, I think it's totally viable. I mean, on, on the small slate, you know, there's no real rules. So I think it's totally in play. I will just say real quick with him, like if you look at the box score last week, you're going to see a pretty solid stat line and be like, wow, CJ Uzoma, that was sweet. But if you watch the game at the end of the first half, he caught just a random last play for like 30 yards or something like that. So a lot of his production came on that one play. So again, he can get there. He's a cheap price tag, especially on DraftKings at 3,400. Certainly can pay that off. No doubt about that. Um, but as I always say with these tight ends in this range, like I really question the ceiling. So I don't think that he's a piece that I'll build around per se, but I think he's totally fine to mix in if you're playing multiple lineups. Oh, I watched that play that you're talking about. I watched it very intently because I had an under on CJ Uzama <laughs> receptions and that was the yeah, one they just, they over. just let him have it too. It was the worst. <laughs> yeah. If I'm playing Uzama, it's cause I'm playing him in burrow stacks and I'm saying that he's getting at least a touchdown in part of that. So, um, that's where I'm at there, but let's do the Kansas city side. It's, Clearly exciting. We love Mahomes. We love the fact that he basically just did a superhuman thing uh, last game. But with Mahomes, are you saying, if you're playing him over Burrow and let's say over Stafford, you're saying not only is he the QB1, but the pieces that are with Mahomes are going to pay off in a way that's you know just far and above everyone else. Like If I'm playing Mahomes, I'm playing three players, two to three, at least two, but probably three players with him. Is that your approach? Is that what you're asking me if that's what I'm going to do? Or you're, or you're saying that's, that's what, what you're I'm doing? Do you th- I'm asking if I'm a dummy. <laughs> well, well, I guess my approach with Mahomes is like it's so tricky because the best players on the slate with talking about not like game theory or anything like that, just logging in. Who do I want to play this week? People are going to want to play Tyree Kill, obviously, and Travis Kelsey, obviously. And so if they also want to play Patrick Mahomes, we're going to see a lot of those double stacks because, again, with pricing, like Tyreek's too cheap. He's 7,000 on DraftKings, uh, 8,100 on FanDuel. And then Kelsey, you know, seeing him below 7,000 on DraftKings just feels like stealing. So 6,500 over there is a great tag. So you can fit it again this week if you want it. The only issue is I think a lot of people are going to do it. And so in this new look Chiefs offense where, you know, gone are the days where you could just ignore every other pass catcher out there, not name Tyreek and Travis Kelsey, which honestly I think has elevated Mahomes quarterback play from real life perspective. He's been awesome since the middle of the year remember when everyone was like oh man like Mahomes did everyone figure him out in the NFL like what's going on here and he just came out over the last you know several weeks and torching the league when he's doing that he's spreading the ball around to a lot of different pass catchers so I think one way that is really interesting with this because of the fact that people are going to play multiple Chiefs in their same lineup is to pick Mahomes and just hope that maybe one of his guys condenses all of the production we don't see it a lot but maybe it's just one and you just say okay like Maybe this week, it's just Tyreek goes bananas, Kelsey fails, and everyone else fails. And that's a way to get different. I'm not saying, again, that's the optimal approach. But when you're talking about how to build stacks differently than everyone else, I think it's very much in play this week. Wow. I'm actually, this is I, I'm loving this. I'm going to go the opposite. And I'm going to say I need four Chiefs minimum in my, in my lineup. So one of my favorite stacks that I've built is Mahomes, McKinnon, Pringle, and Kelsey. So I think people will try to get maybe th- three of those in a lineup. I doubt that four is going to get there. But what it's also saying is that maybe Hill's not the one that's going to... to so it, you can also add in Kansas City defense too. I'm, I'm trying to basically get myself in a position where 
this is the team that projects the best, if this is the team that's favored by seven, then yes, I would love it if it was just Kelsey and everybody else fails, but I know that Kelsey is going to be replicated in so many different lineups. I want Kelsey and I want two other pieces that maybe people aren't playing him with. And just to give you a little bit of, you know, like correlation is it's hard on this slate. So far in six games, Jarek McKinnon and Travis Kelsey have a .84 correlation. Like that's, that's hot. That is something I want in my lineup. And your boy <laughs> Rick McKinnon saw 70% of the running back snaps last week, seven targets. I, I want him in my lineup because he's more than just a running back. He's a he's their wide receiver three. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely am into McKinnon, th- McKinnon this week. Um, yeah, it, for sure. Looking at the usage over CEH, pretty obvious last week. I guess you could talk yourself into a story where maybe it was just CEH's first game back and like they let him have a little bit more run. But I think at this point, we can pretty confidently say McKinnon is the passing down back for one of the most pass-happy offenses in the league. So I think it makes a lot of sense if you're interested in McKinnon to stack him with Pat Mahomes and then create you know your KC stacks that way too. So I'm, I'm pretty interested in that as well. What do we know about Daryl Williams? I know he missed the last week with a toe injury. Is there any update on his status? And basically, if he's active, does that change any of our outlook on their running backs? I don't think it does too much. I do think he actually has a good chance to be active this week. Limited all, all week last week and then limited... Uh, to start the week so I think he's probably going to play but even if he does like we can't project him for more than what three touches maybe four touches max so it's not going to be enough to move the needle for me I think you're just looking at uh, McKinnon and CEH as far as usable pieces of the KC backfield it's so interesting I went back and watched that game that was week 17 I looked at the box scores watched watched the film and everything watched the tape and oh dude you were all in dude Daryl Williams was the guy like I know. He it wasn't to, that long ago. He was I the know. man. I know. So that's why it's so hard. <laughs> McKinnon had five snaps, by the way, in that game. So it's, <laughs> it's changed in a huge way where we would – it's easy for us to project McKinnon, but we said the same thing about Darrell Williams a couple of weeks ago where we said he's a really strong play because CH was out. So right now my preferred strategy is to go overweight with Mahomes and to go more overweight on Kelsey than Hill. Uh, I do love the price – but I think it just in terms of what the field's going to do, I'm going to probably bet on those other receivers that are in that same range. So this is another strategy point this week. Like lineups are probably not going to be able to have three elite wide receivers. And by elite, I mean Tyreek, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel. Like it's really hard to fit three of those in your lineup. You're basically saying I don't need Kelsey and I probably don't need Kittle. So of those four, I feel like you need two of those in your lineup, and you're getting really risky if you only have one from a median projection. But one of those four is going to be in a winning lineup, and it's probably going to be two of them. Three feels like you're asking for a lot. Yeah, definitely agree with that. The key, I think, on this slate is like those 5K and below wide receivers. Like, who is it going to be that pops off for a ceiling game um, when you might not expect it? And I think we're both pretty excited about Byron Pringle in this spot. It's tough because he's a guy that like on a normal slate, you would never even think about playing. But on this slate, when you're looking at who can pay off their tag, one of those guys below 5K that we like is Pringle there. He was 4,300 on DraftKings, 5,700 on FanDuel is pretty solid. Seven plus targets, 
in four of his last five games, catching passes from Pat Mahomes with the Chiefs having over a 30-point implied total. So there's other names below there that you could throw in in the mix, but I'm not that excited about him. So I think one way to just kind of knock out that group of wide receivers is to just pair them, pair him with the best quarterback on the slate in Mahomes. So what are your thoughts on Pringle this week? Yes, Pringle is probably the player that I've taken the hardest stance on. If I'm not playing Tyreek, then I'm probably going to play Pringle. I mean, Nicole Hardman's an afterthought. He had 19 routes run last week. Uh, Pringle had 43, just four less, four fewer. Sorry, former English teacher here. Four fewer <laughs> than uh, than Tyreek. And he actually leads this team in yards per target. If you think It's wild to think about, but he's been awesome when Mahomes targets him. So I plan on using him as leverage on Tyreek. I'm going to pair him with Kelsey and maybe I mentioned McKinnon earlier. Uh, in FanDuel, I mentioned earlier, you can only have up to four players in your lineup. So it's a little bit tougher. You can't go to five Chiefs. But if I wanted to do four Chiefs, let's say I wanted Mahomes, Kelsey, Pringle, and even KC defense. Like I think you can do that and, and get there. So Pringle's probably one of the players I will be overweight on the field. And it seems like from our early projections, like, I mean, 20%, I feel like for what he can offer, he should be more like 25 to 30%. Yeah, if that's where he's going to come in, and, and again, on this slate, I am going to be making multiple lineups. I'm going to go full GPP life here and, and probably go either uh, 20 max or 150 max. And I will definitely be over the weight, overweight the field, excuse me, on, uh, on Byron Pringle. So yeah, sign me up. 150 max. This is a different level of, of degenerate life that you're in bets what please explain to the people why you'll be emptying out the bank account let my hair down man getting wild um yeah just on these small slates like on on regular main slates i like playing either three max or single entry because i think you can just get a stance against the field but when you're throwing out like player takes as much and you're not really focused on like the quote-unquote best plays you want exposure to a lot of different pieces on this slate and it's just easier to say, okay, who do I think the field is overvaluing versus undervaluing? I'll just make more lineups that have that player in them that the field is undervaluing. And I think Pringle is one of those guys. So yeah, I'm going full GPP life this week, man. You'll see me with the uh, the screenshots with like just the hundreds of little dots next to him. Some of them are going to miss. Hopefully one hits. We'll see. Give me your Vegas pick and how you see this game playing out. Yeah, we didn't talk about that too much. This is a pretty exciting game. Like the Chiefs games have just been nailing the over every week. Um, and very quietly, or not so quietly, the Chiefs' defense has been a big reason why, allowing an average of 25.5 points per game over their last six. I like the over, and I think Joe Burrow can keep it close. I do think the, the Chiefs uh, win, but I'll take uh, Cincy plus seven. I'm taking Kansas City minus seven, and I took an over earlier in the week, moving the lines, no big deal. I took an over at 53 and a half, so it's moved up a point. Uh, no big deal. I am interested in building lineups in the game flow that I that I talked about when it hits the under. If this game hits the under, then you get massive leverage on the field. Like I I, I put down like let's say this game is twenty three to sixteen. Okay, well it's not a massive failure, but it is a failure compared to where the field is at. That's where not only do the defenses come into play, but you are saying that Matthew Stafford and his stacks or Jimmy Garoppolo and his stacks. Are the way to go. Now this game could hit twenty three to sixteen, okay. And let's say Mahomes has a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown, okay, which is pretty awesome. And he hits three hundred yards. Like you're still need Mahomes. He could still be the QB one on the slate, um, but he's so much more expensive compared to Jimmy G. 
that I think that's where things get different. So I just want to say, for those of you that are contrarian players, play this game as if it hits the under because you are just getting massive leverage. And I'll, I'll create lineups like that because it's fun. It's, uh, I mean, we want points, but it's fun to be able to say, I have so much you know, leverage. The whole field played Jamar Chase and Tyreek, and I have them in none of these lineups. So uh, any last thoughts yeah. on this game? Yeah, and actually just to speak to that, last week, we all remember that game because it was so fun in the last you know, five, six minutes, and then in overtime. That game was on track to hit the under last week if those things didn't happen with Gabe Davis in overtime. So I'm not saying that that's how I think or want this game to go, but I think there are paths to the under hitting. So I'm with you. I'm going to make some lineups that definitely are underweight on these players in this game and a little bit overweight on the next game, just again, to create some different opinions and lineups out there because we don't want to be doing exactly what our opponents are doing. We can't win that way. All right, let's talk about the next game. San Francisco at the Rams. This is the third time we've seen these teams this year, including week 18. So it's kind of nice that we've seen some film. We've we've watched these two teams. I mean, San Francisco had a crazy comeback in that week 18 game where I buried them and I did not see them. I mean, they were down, what, 17 nothing at one point and yep. came all the way back. So uh, the Rams are three and a half point home favorites. And this game is a 45 and a half total. So naturally, this would be a game that the field's going to say, all right, well, I could see this being a defensive struggle. One of those like 20 to, you know, 17 kind of games where it's just like, uh, there's nothing there. Uh, We've seen the 49ers. Maybe are they lucky? We don't really know. So right now, the big narrative, and we'll, we'll address this first, is that Kyle Shanahan completely owns Sean McVay. They were friends they were colleagues back in washington and that he just has his number so how do we take advantage of that narrative because i feel like it's a copy and paste for a lot of people yeah similar to the um the bengals and the chiefs where we're saying the field just is going to assume this game's going to hit the over and that's everyone's going to play it well the field is also going to assume san francisco either has a chance to win this game or keep it very close So one way that you could, again, just get really contrarian in this is say, like, listen, that narrative is silly. You know, even though they've been beating the Rams a lot, um, six straight for San Francisco, four of the last five were by one score and uh, three of the last four were by a field goal. So you could say to yourself, listen, I know they've been close. I know that that's kind of the narrative out there. But like, what if the Rams just turn it on for one game and they blow San Francisco out? Not many people are going to play that game script. So I think that's one way that you can just get different um, again on this small slate. Yeah, that, that's what you're saying with a Stafford stack. And all year, we've been saying the same thing. Last week, we were, I was really high on Stafford stacks because he's really easy to double stack with. Like, you know that the 300 yards is well within play. Uh, you know that Cooper Cup is going to project insanely well. So you just play Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and pick another receiver. Is it Odo Beckham? Is it, you know, Tyler Higbee? Whoever it is. This week, though, we have a different conversation because he's the same exact price as Joe Burrow on FanDuel. So my question that I have in just in terms of game theory is if Mahomes at the very top of the pricing, Burrow and Stafford are the same, and Jimmy G is at the bottom, how many people are going to be playing this game where they're saying Stafford is you know going to hit? They're going to be playing Burrow, who's the same price, and they're probably not playing Jimmy G. So there's just massive amount of leverage just pricing-wise if this game hits the over. Yeah, I, I agree. I think when you look at those two at the same pricing tag, 
um, people are going to click the, the button on Burrow way more than they will on Stafford for sure. And it's because I think probably that Stafford has struggled against the Niners this season, especially. So yeah, I think that's definitely a narrative out there. And I think that that pricing is definitely interesting to uh, take an approach and say, listen, I'll probably play both quarterbacks on FanDuel. But listen, if if Stafford comes out and has one of those games and Burrow for some reason doesn't get there, you're going to have huge leverage on the field. So I think that's a really interesting and, and contrarian approach that I like a lot on FanDuel especially. I think in this game, you're also going to see a lot of the defensive plays because the total's lower. So if people are stacking up the other side, they're going to say, well, obviously I don't want to play a defense if I'm stacking it up. So um, these defenses are priced in a way where you can play either of them. Um, and we saw what the Rams did this past week. We also saw that the 49ers can create turnovers, or at least they had, they did create turnovers. They hadn't been doing that most of the year. Um, so what needs to happen if we were dare to play Jimmy G? He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass in the playoffs. What needs to happen for him to actually be the dude? Which would be crazy, but it's DFS. I mean, truthfully, you probably need an injury to one of the quarterbacks in the first game, which no one ever is predicting or rooting for. Truthfully, I think that's what you need on this slate. And then you need in this game, you need the Niners to get behind and buy a lot. Like if the game is within one score, Kyle Shanahan has shown us he's not going to abandon the run game. He will stick with Mitchell and Debo out of the backfield. So you need this game to be what it was when these teams played um, at the end of the regular season, when they had to come back from 17 points and win in overtime. That's what you need to have happen. So again, that's contrarian. Not a lot of people are going to play him. I probably won't play a lot of Jimmy G, but I think I'll have a few lineups around that game script just in case it does happen. I think you hit it right on the head. It's you need the Rams to get up by more than, you know, you need 14 plus points and that game was 17. So if that happens, okay, so you're, Let's say the Rams do get up and you get a Cam Akers touchdown and a Cooper Cup touchdown. All right. How are you building your 49ers? Like, how do you see that side in a way that you're saying, I need them in my lineup? Because it's it's really easy to just take one or two pieces from the 49ers, like take Elijah Mitchell or take Debo Samuel and be done. But I feel like the field is going to be doing that. Yeah, definitely. And when you look at like optimal plays from the, the Niners, that's who it is. Everyone knows that. But one situation that that would present in those game scripts is be a complete fade on Eli Mitchell. You know, he's getting the carries when the game is close. So if you're saying it blows out, he would be the guy that I would not be interested in playing. And it would bring into play names like Brandon Ayuk, who no one is going to play this week. And then George Kittle, who on DraftKings, Kyle, is $5,000. And that just feels like they're, they're begging us to click the button on Kittle. And I'm actually pretty excited about George Kittle this week. And it's because last week, like we finally saw usage and we saw him unfortunately drop what i think would have been one of those like 50 yard touchdowns from kittle a uh, pretty pretty terrible drop honestly but if that is the game script then kittle is going to be more involved and you know at that price tag i'm pretty interested in that um just buried on, on DraftKings. yeah he's coming out as the most popular tight end right now because of that price i think if he was 6k or six and a half then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But he fits so well in lineups right now because we've seen what he does against the Rams. Like in his last eight games, just destroyed them. And he's someone that if you're not playing Debo, you're probably playing Kittle. Like I think people understand the negative correlation between those two. Even if you just go box score, you know, scouting, you can see like, oh, if Debo didn't have a big game, it's probably a Kittle game. And that's kind of how Kyle Shanahan does things, right? Like who's he game planning this game with? I We can't. We don't know that information, but let's say you are playing Kittle. Are you playing somebody else in your lineup if you're fading Debo? 
Are you playing like a Ayuk? Are you getting Juwan Jennings? Or are you saying it's going to flow through Kittle? I think when I play Kittle, I'm I'm just going for the the top you know range of outcomes with Kittle. We know the floor is four DraftKings points. We've seen it week after week, but then last week popped up for a decent day. In the games when he's played against the Rams, I mean, he is destroyed. So I don't know that that Kyle Shanahan is going to go back there. He might. Last time, it was nothing. It was 5 for 10, which is just terrible. <laughs> five, five receptions for 10 yards. But in the games before that, going all the way back to multiple seasons ago, like 5 for 50 in a touchdown, 7 for 109 in a touchdown, 5 for 79 in a touchdown, 8 for 103, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm chasing those game logs and just hoping that we have that game. So I think if you are going to play Kittle, like certainly I'm not playing him with Debo. I think you could play him with Ayuk. Um, and as I already said, I'm not playing him with Eli Mitchell. Stacking Kittle with another tight end feels pretty easy to do, right? Like people are going to be playing Kelsey. So I think that's a key indicator is what is Kelsey's roster percentage in that first, you know, in that first game. And then that basically can tell me based on the late swap, like, okay, well, here's what we have left between Higby and Kittle to work with. So have that conversation with yourself. Look at, you know, look and see whether percentages are at uh third, fourth quarter, wherever you're at. Uh, but I love Kittle this week. I mean, I love Kittle every single week. I'm going to shoot my shot with him because he can win you an entire week. And pricing wise, like you're getting someone who's kind of like the wide receiver 12, which is not what he is. Like he's, he's more like wide receiver six, seven range. So uh, let's finish talking about these San Francisco weapons. Brandon Ayuk. It feels like you can't play him in the same lineup as Debo and you're kind of playing him as leverage. Yep. That's, that's what he is. I mean, we last week was an air ball, you know, so we know what the floor is on Ayuk. The ceiling's been a little questionable this year. Only one 100-yard receiving game. Worth noting, it did come against the Rams, so it is possible. But um, yeah, the, he's certainly a, a game theory leverage play on Debo. That's about it. And with Debo, you're asking for six-plus rush attempts. I mean, he's going to get 10 to 12 touches, which for a wide receiver is a lot. And then when he's averaging the most yards per target, he's averaging over six a carry. You're getting insane efficiency. That's what you're going to get. So in cash formats, if you play that, then Debo projects really well on FanDuel. He's actually the top projected wide receiver in terms of price. I think Debo is one of those players that I'd rather go in underweight because you're still betting on insane efficiency. And at some level that will regress. So I'd rather go more towards Kittle this week. I don't know. What's your stance on Debo? Yeah, I'm definitely going to be underweight the field. Not going to go full fade on on this situation, but I will be underweight the field on Debo. And it's because when you're looking at spots where you're just seeing the path to failure for a player, volume is one of the most predictable things in fantasy football. Efficiency is not always that. And as we say every week, like Debo just continues to uh, break these efficiency metrics. But last week we saw the situation where he didn't and he was a complete bust. So I'm going to maybe take a stance that I... If I don't play him, that I hope that that happens again. Obviously, fading him is terrifying because we've seen him just be awesome this year, and he's a really fun player to root for. Um, but yeah, I think when you're relying on on rushing volume from a wide receiver, then yes, there are paths to fading, especially considering left tackle Trent Williams did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. Huge situation for the Niners. If he is out, that would be a, another reason to downgrade, I think, Mitchell and Debo out of the backfield. And we'll talk about Mitchell a little bit more. There's a prop that I'll mention with Mitchell uh, when we get to that section. But let's finish off with these Rams. Cam Akers. 
from an emotional level, it's really hard to click the button because I watched what I watched on TV this past week and it was painful. But in terms of usage, in terms of him being out on the field, in terms of his price, you mentioned earlier, I can't ignore it. So how are you handling Cam Akers? Are you referencing the two fumbles? <laughs> maybe, maybe including one right <laughs> at the goal line. <laughs> yeah, that was rough if you if you played him. That was a really bad beat um, right at the one yard line. But um, yeah, we talked about it. The usage metrics are great. He is cheap. He is $5,000 on DraftKings, 6200 on FanDuel. It's really tough to fade a player that you could say he's probably going to get somewhere around 17 to 22 touches most weeks. It's tough to fade a player at that salary. And if we're talking about a normal main slate, we would say he's a great value. Play him in cash games. But the field is going to be on him. The field is excited about him. And as we always say against the Niners, as we've been talking about in the last few weeks, the way that you beat them is through the air. So I'm not saying I'm not going to play Cam Akers, but again, if the field is going to be very, very high on him, I am willing to go underweight the field. No, I think that's the right stance. I I want to because he fits so well. Like if you're playing Mixon from the first game, an expensive running back, it's like, oh, I can play Akers, who, you know, the Rams project as three point favorites. Like I it's easy to put him in a lineup. But I think you're right. If the field says, Oh, Sean McVay, he he can't figure it out against the Niners and Stafford struggled. I'm going to be playing Stafford and playing his wide receivers and the wide receiver. I think the field is lowest on is Van Jefferson. And you're asking for a deep shot. You're asking for a bomb and the, the snaps are there. That's all I really care about. Is he out on the field? Is there opportunity? Um, it's frustrating with Jefferson because I think I've been shooting my shot for like three or four weeks in a row and it's been OB. OBJ over and over again. And so he projects really well once again. But I think Jefferson's the one, if people are searching for that wide receiver that's lower rostered, that's, you know, low price, like he's the one that could catch a touchdown or even two. Yeah. And if you're also looking at, you know, wide receivers on the slate, like we're talking about guys that we would never consider on a main slate. So that's just the first reference point of context. <laughs> so when you're trying to just find like a dart throw that someone that's going to help you get different in a tournament, yeah, no one's going to play Van Jefferson. He's stu- he's uh, 3900 on DraftKings, super cheap. But what you're hoping for is that you're chasing um, a deep play, like you said. So I'm looking at underlying metrics for this week of guys that are pretty thin plays of just their air yards and average depth of target. And Jefferson is kind of running those r- routes down the field. So yeah, it's thin. It could be a goose egg. It gets you two points on DraftKings, but you're hoping he hits a long one here and you're including him, I think, probably in Stafford stacks um, as leverage off Odell potentially this week. We don't have to say a ton about Cup, but we did get this question that came in on our Discord channel from Sergal12. He said, do you expect the Niners to do anything different this game against Cup, or should we expect him to get peppered with targets again? Or my follow-up question is, can anybody stop Cooper Cup? Does it even matter? Does our analysis not matter? Yeah, I mean, in the DFS path, I just stopped writing, like, just play him. I mean, what is there to say? Um, He's just been unreal. So, yeah, in the two games against San Francisco this year, 11 for 122, no touchdown, but did get 13 targets in that game. And then 7 for 118 and a touchdown on 9 targets. So they should do something different, clearly. Uh, but we thought the NFL should do something different the entire year. And it was still you know, him going to uh, exceed the, the expectations. So yeah, I think for Cooper Cup, it's business as usual. In a game where everything's on the line, they're going to get the ball to Cooper Cup, no doubt. So I'm not really worried about any matchup situation here. I tried to start writing sentences down in the DFS pass about what you could do to fade cup. And you just can't like, you can't fade a projection like that. 
you can't really make it up somewhere else. Uh, like a couple years ago when we had that Michael Thomas season where he set the record of receptions, it was awesome. But he had some volatile weeks. Like he had some weeks where like it wasn't great. Cup is like guaranteed like seven for a hundred. And then a touchdown feels pretty guaranteed as well. So uh, I'll be playing a ton of cup just like everybody else. It's just who are you attaching with him? That's what I'm more interested in. Are people playing this game and they're saying, you know what, I'm going to play Kittle and Cup, and that's it. You know that, that That's going to be very common because everyone's playing the stacks from the other games. So with Cup, are you playing Cup and Jefferson together? Or are you playing Stafford, Cup, Higby, and the Rams defense together? Like That's, that's the kind of combination you need rather than just one-off pieces. So um, any other takes on the Rams side? I mean, we don't really talk about Odell. You know, he's he's clearly been better with the Rams than with the Browns, no question. Also seeing more volume. Um, and, and he's been a, a touchdown threat. And when you're talking about a small slate, you don't need these guys to pay off in a huge way. Like, we don't need necessarily from all of our wide receivers the 7-101 game. We need, you know, 450 and a touchdown. Sometimes that'll, that'll work on a two-game slate. And I think Odell certainly has that in his range of outcomes. So I'll have exposure to him for sure. Um, what are you doing with Tyler Higby? We didn't really talk about him at all, but I feel like he's a guy that's been so tricky because I know I've chased the ceiling in the past with him and it's really let me down, but he's actually been pretty reliable for his price point. He's buried again at 3700 this week. He actually went down in pricing on DraftKings. What are your thoughts on Higby? I think, so the pricing is what is attractive to people, but I don't think people are only playing Higby. They're playing one of the other tight ends. So you're kind of, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to be playing Kelsey or Kittle and then also attaching Higby thinking they're getting cute, but I just don't know if he can match the ceiling of somebody else that I could be playing in the flex. You have to get a touchdown. I think that's what you need from him if you're playing him and only him, but if you're playing him with another tight end, like I'm probably going to be underweight compared to the field because I think everyone's been playing him a lot more and I just I my stance is Van Jefferson on this team this week because I I see it with the field and it's a contrarian stance don't get me wrong like I'm not saying it's it's a it's a you know it's going to hit but I'd rather go there and hope for a touchdown at I don't know 12% roster percentage than Higby who's going to be like in the 20s. Yeah, I'm I'm laughing to myself right now because I ask you that question every week and you say, yeah, I'm not going to go there this week. <laughs> and then I say, okay, I am. <laughs> and then and we just see what happens. So, um, yes, I probably will have exposure to Higby. I don't, it's tough. You know, if he was like up at like 4,500 or 5,000, it'd be easier to fade him, but he's just so cheap. He has 40 plus receiving yards every game since week 13 and his target share over 20% in the last six games, which has negatively affected Van Jefferson. So I personally would not play those two together on this slate. I think that's one way that you can make sure that you're setting rules that are at least helping kind of reach the the most optimal outcome on uh, on the Rams side. And don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's only four teams. Like someone's going to see a lineup that I post like, you, st- you said not to play Tyler. I said I probably will be underweight on him compared to the field, but I'll have some Tyler Higby out there. Don't get me wrong. Is, Every- there, is, is there a player on this slate you're just not going to play? Um, dude, I, I won't be playing Kendall Blanton. I oh, okay. will, gotcha. uh, uh, let me, let me, let's, let's put that to the test. Is there a player that you will say, I'm just not, all right, I'm probably not playing Nicole Hardman. Are you, how many, are you going to do a, uh, MME set like 150? I'll or? probably just do a 20 max. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fine. A 20 max for sure. I mean, he's a guy that the field loves. 
just because he has those, you know, fun upside plays, but caught one ball last week. He scored a touchdown on it. So you're just, you're fading that volume aspect. So I think that's probably in play. I'll play a little bit of him, I think, in in larger stuff. But yeah, not a not a building block by any point. Um, and then one guy that'll also be pretty underweight on is Juwan Jennings. People just love that, you know, he, he did it in week 18. Right. Like it could happen again. Uh, and again, you need the game script where San Francisco falls behind by a ton for him to be relevant. So he seems like an easy guy to come in underweight the field. All right, give me your Vegas pick. This is tough. Uh, the numbers say take take the Niners, but I just have this gut feeling like it happens this week for Stafford. So I will go Rams. Let's go Rams minus three and a half. I will go Rams minus three and a half too because I I see what everybody else is seeing. I get it. The numbers say this, but um, the past doesn't have the same dictation on the future. So I'm just going to believe that McVay gets it together and the 49ers are going to run out of luck. So... Let's talk about these prop bets. Straight cash, homie. Hopefully you printed out some cash last week thanks to Evan McPherson. And if you did, you would have done it in the first quarter because he hit that prop faster than any prop I've ever seen in my life. But bets, why don't you start us off with a prop you like for this weekend at quarterback? Yeah, we've been going with these each week and it's been really fun to see them working out. For the most part, I'm going to go back to Patrick Mahomes over 28 and a half rushing yards. Got that on DraftKings. Um, the story with Mahomes is kind of the same as what we talked about with Josh Allen last couple of weeks is that he runs more in the playoffs, averaging uh, just over 30 yards per game in the postseason versus about 18 per game in the regular season. Clearly, that's a bit of a thin margin on this this number, but I still like it to go over. He just doesn't let the play die in the playoffs. You know, he'll scramble around more. He'll take off. So give me Mahomes over on the rush yards. I also think one really interesting prop that obviously isn't popular, it's not going to hit often, is Mahomes to lead this game between Cincy and KC in rushing is plus 650. The rationale there is, you know, we're going to get probably three running backs from Kansas City in the backfield, splitting some type of work. Who knows how it goes? And then Joe Mixon, who's been incredibly inefficient this year. So if you run into like a Mixon, you know, 50-yard game, the Chiefs running backs all split. Mahomes happens to rip off a long one or two and gets to like 70 yards. I mean, that could win uh, this this rushing prop, so to speak, on the slate. So he would have to lead the entire game in it. I think it's interesting at plus 650. Dude, you've been consistently on this Mahomes over, and I've been slow to it, but I, I have to give you props no pun intended, for uh, being consistent with this. I see what you did there. I did. I have a bet on FanDuel. It's Joe Burrow who throws for 250-plus and two touchdowns at least. It's at minus 125 on FanDuel. Um, I think that feels like a floor. Am I crazy? No. Since he has been uh, sixth in neutral situation pass rate, Burrow has gone over 300 yards in six of his last seven. So, yeah, I think it's very much in play. Yeah, and I get the combo of what they're asking in terms of hitting both of those, but if this game does what it's supposed to do, then I feel like that was a very safe one to say on FanDuel at minus 125. At running back, Elijah Mitchell right now is plus 120 to score a touchdown at any time. Anytime you get a starting running back for a team that you know is going to get 20-plus carries, which is really what he's averaged over the last six, seven weeks. Now he has popped up in the injury report, but if I knew that he was good to go, and he's a starting running back for a team that runs the ball more than any other team, that the Rams give up the highest rush rate inside the 10 and the highest rush TD percentage of these teams, I will go in on that. So Elijah Mitchell, plus 120 to score a touchdown. Yeah, the plus money there is is nice. Um, in the same game, 
I'm going to go with the Cam Akers under, which sounds really not fun. Like no one likes you to are not unders, fun but for life. I know, but unders typically work. I know, you're, you're <laughs> so give me Cam Akers. The one I like the best is a combined 82 and a half rush plus receiving yards. And what I looked at there is I said, okay, his rushing prop is about 59 and a half yards. His receiving prop was like 18 and a half. Well, if you add those two numbers up, that is less than 82 and a half yards. So give me the under on, on the combined yardage there. Listen, he's just been extremely inefficient on the ground, averaging just over two and a half yards per carry. Eventually, that's going to swing in his direction, but we just haven't seen him do it with long plays. Maybe that's still the Achilles. Maybe it's just been tough matchups. But again, he gets a tough one on paper here against a Rams or excuse me, a 49ers defense that ranks second in rush defense DVOS. Give me the under on Akers combined uh, yardage this week. I like that one a lot. Uh, 82 and a half is a lot. It's a lot to ask from him for both of those. At wide receiver, this is a fun one. It's more of a long shot, but I thought I'd throw it out there. And it's a way for me to hedge, probably not playing as much T. Higgins this week. But if T. Higgins goes over 100 and catches a touchdown, it's plus 500 on FanDuel. So it's a long shot bet, but I do think there is a great possibility for that to happen. And I would put the odds more at like plus 300, 350. So plus 500 feels pretty good on FanDuel. Nice. Yeah, that's a fun one to root for too. I also forgot to mention in the running back uh, stuff, I also like Joe Mixon over 27.5 receiving yards, minus 120 on DK. Uh, we talked about it. He's seeing a ton of targets. He's getting volume out of the backfield. And the Chiefs have actually been pretty vulnerable to pass-catching backs this season. So I like that. And then uh, at the wide receiver position, I feel like our guy on this show has been Byron Pringle, which is, which is something I never thought I'd say <laughs> on this podcast. But I will take the over 3.5 receptions. It is even money, plus 100 on DraftKings. I currently am going to DraftKings right now to be able to bet that. It's uh, it's now at uh, plus 110. No big deal. Ooh, nice. For Pringle? For Pringle, over three Sweet. and a half receptions. Yeah, I, one, I'll say this about Byron Pringle. At Kansas State, he was a really fun player. Like, really, really fun. But in the NFL, it was kind of like hard to see if he would actually get the playing time. But we know that he's seeing the routes, opportunity, and when Mahomes targets him, it's insane. I'm going to go back to the kicker. I'm going to do it. I am going to do it. Evan McPherson over one and a half field goals. This time it's minus 105 on DK. I bet that earlier in the week. Last week it was plus money. They're on to us. But still, I will take those odds for him to get two field goals. This is going to be great. You know, everyone's rooting for points in DFS. The, the Bengals are driving. They're at the 20, third and eight. Uh, only six yards to Jamar Chase. Kyle's jumping off the couch, fist pumping. He's the only person in the world that's happy about this. <laughs> All right, I'm going to throw out one more that's a fun one before we get into our questions. I have a bet right now. It's kind of a fun one. Bengals second quarter winner. Okay, it's plus money on FanDuel, plus 156. The Bengals in the second quarter have destroyed it. Joe Burrow has a 128 quarterback rating in the second quarter. Their pass rate skyrockets in the second quarter. So what you're asking from this bet is for them just to win the points of the second quarter um, where you see Mahomes and the, they usually turn on in the third and fourth. So I will take my chances with Joe Burrow and hopefully he has a good second quarter. Is that crazy? I would have never thought to do it. So hats off to you. I did a deep dive on Joe Burrow per quarter and it was very extreme, the splits. So let's go second quarter Bengals. All right. Last but not least, let's go to the mailbag. Mailbag. You can send in your questions on Twitter at the Fantasy PT for bets or at Kyle underscore Borg. 
First question is from at G Silvestri on Twitter. He asks, how many players from one side of a game is too many to stack in cash versus GPP? And I'll give a caveat on DraftKings. Your lineup must include players from at least two different teams. You can't just play all Chiefs. Can't do it. You have to have at least one other player. And on FanDuel, you can't select more than four players from a team, which in this stance, like it makes it a lot harder to get different than the field because uh, four is the max. Yeah, I think if you're talking about this from a cash versus GPP perspective, if you are playing cash on a smaller slate, it probably is going to be more optimal to play a few players from each team because you're looking for median outcome uh, projections. But if you're talking about in GPPs, as we said, the rules are off this week. There, there are no rules. Um, I don't think it's crazy to fade a game. You know, you can't fade it completely. You got to play someone from that team. But like going, you know, just one Niner and one Ram and just try to go all in. And maybe you say this Cincy KC game goes crazy. They get 75 combined points. This is the game to have. That's fine. You know, get different that way. But I think from a, a cash game perspective, you're just looking at like who's going to get volume, who's going to get touches. And if you just go all in on one game situation, you're unlikely to get exposure to players that are going to get volume. Yeah, I won't be playing much cash, so I can't give as much advice here. It's just really hard if I don't have Debo Samuel in my lineup, or let's say I didn't have Chase. I mean, I could get you could get buried super fast in cash. So um, in GPPs, I'd rather spread myself out. Um, yeah, in GPPs, get do whatever you want, do whatever you want on DraftKings. I would say when you start getting to six players, it's probably a little overkill. Um, but you know, four or five, do it. Do it on DraftKings if you think that game is just gonna, you know, blow it out of the water. And let's say it's Chiefs or Bengals, you want to do that. I just, I could not see five 49ers. There's nope. just no way. It's just not gonna project that way. But if you want to do it, do it and prove me wrong. Uh, next question from Kendall Lowe: Who's your Gabriel Davis for this slate? Gabriel Davis has seen his Google trends go through the roof over the last week, by the way, just like every show, every dynasty show, basically who's the player with lower percentage who can have a multi-touchdown game, break the slate. Who is it? And I think we mentioned earlier, Byron Pringle is probably our collective favorite. Um, I'll just throw out Van Jefferson. Cause I keep throwing him out. You, you got a name. Yeah, I think I'm just going to stick with Pringle because you're looking at a situation where you're just hoping that you can get, uh, again, multiple touchdown passes. So I'm going to look at the team totals and say the smart people in Vegas with their spreadsheets and algorithms say that the Chiefs are going to score 30-plus points. So I will take a shot on one of the wide receivers in that game environment. Yeah, and I'll just mention Ayuk if you want leverage. like That's where you're going to get it over Debo, and you're going to get it over Kittle. All right, a couple questions and we're done. How crazy is it to put CH McKinnon in the same lineup? This one's from M. Pellegrini 13. I think it's okay. I mean, I don't I don't love it. I'm not going to be building around it, but I think it's okay. Again, on a small slate, feel free to get off the board. And one way to do that is to play two running backs from the same team. Now, in most situations, it is not going to work out, but in the small chance it does, the field is not going to be doing it. So it's, it's a very clear way to just get a leg up on the competition, so to speak, from a roster percentage and construction standpoint. Other than last week, like we haven't really seen those two play together because, you know, you had CH was out and then McKinnon and Darrell Williams played together. They had a ton of negative correlation, but CH and Darrell Williams had actually positive 0.39 in their games played. So it's really hard for me to look at those two and say, you need three touchdowns. 
Like, that's what you need to compete with the rest of the field. So let's say McKinnon runs in one and catches another, and then CH runs one on the ground. Like, that's what you need, and you're fading the passing options from Kansas City. So um, that scenario can happen, and if that did happen, then you're getting a ton of leverage and you're jumping on stacking the Bengals' side, but um, I don't recommend doing it. All right. Kevin Kernick, he asked, tell me why I'm crazy for thinking the Chiefs defense and Burrow is the skeleton key to win a GPP this week. I do not think that is crazy. I think that is actually very interesting because when you're looking at how a quarterback and the defense that he's playing interact, especially on the small slate, you might be saying, okay, I hope that Burrow throws two pick sixes. The Chiefs defense gets there in a massive way. And in those situations, the ball goes right back into Burrow's hands and it's more passing volume for him. So I don't think it's crazy, um, especially, I mean, look at what happened last week. He took a sack, what felt like, felt like every play against the Titans. So yeah, the offensive line is a concern. Certainly the Chiefs defense can get there. That was the most frustrating part. I played a lot of Titans defense. I did a lot of Titans bets of them getting, you know, I think I did like over four sacks. They got nine. And yet Burrow and the offense still like moved down the field. It just wasn't, you know, a stack that you needed in your lineup. So yeah, you're not crazy. Really, you could play any combination of any defensive quarterback. We wouldn't tell you crazy. All right, last one from our boy Saquon Sparkly on Discord. There's been a lot of discussion after the Packers loss about regular season heroes who tank in the playoffs. And it does seem like playoff football is different than the other. Besides adjusting for the difference in the slate size, how do you change your process for playoff football versus regular season? Yeah, the biggest thing that we kind of already talked about is just ignoring the rules that you would normally set for a main slate. You know, we're never playing, not never, but hardly ever playing running backs from A, the same team, or B, in the same game. We're also trying to avoid playing our quarterback, as we just talked about, against our defense that we're playing. So, yeah, there's rules that you would you would make. And, you know, you wouldn't ever on a main slate be like, I'm playing four guys from the same offense this week. It just didn't happen. So, yeah, on the small slate, that's kind of how you throw those rules out. Um, and, you know, you build lineups with less um, restrictions around them. Because, again, it's, it's such a, a more difficult process to get this right on a small slate that you're just embracing the variance associated with it. I think it's easier to identify narratives in the playoffs because you have fewer games. And so I write those down. Like, you know, we mentioned earlier, Bet's kind of shared, hey, yes, Kyle Shanahan does own Sean McVay. Okay, how is the field going to actually use that? Or we mentioned with Cincinnati and Kansas City, like we've seen this game from week 17. So write down those narratives, and with those narratives, figure out ways that you can gain leverage. I think it's easier to do that, but also we're not, you know, we're, we're dealing with four teams. Like the player pool is a lot smaller. So... You can galaxy brain yourself all day and figure out all the different combinations. You're not going to be able to cover all your bases, but just finding little bits of you know information that you can say, hey, if, if this is what the field's going to do, here's how I'm going to respond. I could be wrong, but at least I feel like I have a, a plan of why I did it. Like, so I can go back to my process later and say, you know, here, here's why I went this route. So uh, playoff football is a ton of fun. We still have a Super Bowl where we're going to run through a million different scenarios of what could happen in one game. And really, there's so many different things. Last year, it was Gronk catching two touchdowns that you needed in your lineup. So, uh, yeah, that'll be super fun. It's a showdown style, so it's a, it's a different kind of game. We'll go through showdown strategy. Uh, but, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. If you want to play with us, go to BallersDFS.com, direct you to our DraftKings League, Fantasy Footballers DFS Borg Plus Bets. Last week, I opened up a, a tournament. It was called... 
uh, take my money chumps. And they did take my money, and I felt like a chump. <laughs> so I will open up another one this week where you can take Betts' money, and uh, we love playing with you guys. It's a lot of fun. For a lot of listeners, it's the first time they've gotten to win a tournament, and the stakes are a little bit lower. It's not as intimidating. It's hopefully with people that are in this journey that are having fun with you as well. So, yes, make sure you join us at BallersDFS.com. And, Betts, why don't you sign us off? Yes, I would love to enjoy the football this weekend. A fun two games ahead. Should be great. Good luck in all your contests. Send us those screenshots when you win. And uh, please don't take my money this week. We'll see you guys. Uh, we're off next week. We'll see you guys for the Super Bowl. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.